It is definitely a privilege uh, to be back here with you. Um, almost wasn't sure whether um, I was going to make it in today because I don't have my snowmobile ready. But uh, we were able to and it's, it's good to be with um, the saints uh, of the Lord and to be in His house. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, please turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And as I've looked at the story of Abraham, Abram, who becomes Abraham, I have realized that he um, is human. And I know that sounds uh, obvious, but it's kind of an encouragement to me because a lot of times when we look at Bible stories and stories of the great men of the Bible, we tend to think, well, that was them, and they never struggled, and they just triumphed because they had this ultimate faith in God that everything was going to work out. But as you look at Abram's life, you realize that he hit a lot of bumps along the way, but God still used him mightily. And we're going to talk about a little bit about how that was able to work today. Uh, we're going to start um, with the first seven verses, and I'll just go ahead and read those. And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, lo one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed God, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Alright, so we go into um, this passage, and first of all, God is speaking directly to Abram. And we know that at this particular uh, time of history, God spoke in very specific ways to very specific people. So we know this is significant already because God is speaking directly to Abraham. And later, uh, and we've already kind of established that Abram had a close relationship with God and was indeed God's friend. And isn't it wonderful that today, through Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I have no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And I can say with utmost confidence, not because of my own merit, because of the merit of Jesus Christ, which I have accepted on my behalf, that I am a friend of God. And I hope that you can say the same thing. And so, God is talking to Abram and he says, 
I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram is thinking, no doubt, about um, this promise that God had made to him back right before he left uh, the land of his kindred, where God said, all of uh, the world will be blessed by your descendants. And Abraham has been waiting and waiting for descendants. He has no children at this point. And he's getting old. And he's probably wondering, God, what are you doing? Why is this taking so long? And he, as humans are prone to do, starts to use human logic. And he even kind of signifies that Eliezer, a servant in his house, is going to be his heir. Because not having children, he had to pick someone who would do that. And so that this is the context in which Abram is thinking. So, the, the first thing I want to point out here is that often when we are placed in situations where, especially if we believe strongly that God is going to do something, we have a tendency to want to help God out. To make it as feasible as possible so that God doesn't let us down. Instead of having a great faith that believes God can do the impossible, that He can open doors that no one can close, and that He can close doors no one can open. And Abram is just having this frank conversation with God, and he says, You have given me no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And the Lord corrects him. The Lord is great at correcting us, the question is, will we be willing to be corrected? The Bible says in the Proverbs that if a fool is corrected, he will harden his neck and he will be cut off, and that without remedy. So when we are facing the correction of God or of our authorities that God has given us, and we refuse to accept it, we will ultimately suffer destruction if we choose to continue to ignore it. And so God is in the process here of letting uh, Abram know, I haven't forgotten you, I'm still planning to meet this need of yours for an heir, and it's going to be your heir from your body. And then he says... Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Can you imagine being Abram that day and you look up into the sky? I don't know if you've ever taken the time to do this. I know I do this more often now that we live in the country. But you go out in our backyard on a clear night and you realize there are more stars than I can count. And there are even more stars that are, are not visible to the naked eye. So we're talking a lot of descendants here. And what does it say about Abram? It says he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. You know, a lot of people say, like Ben was alluding to earlier when we in our song service, Say, if I could just get better, if I could just be more righteous, then I would come to God. 
But like that song said, if you wait till you're better to come to God, then you never will. The Bible says that Jesus is the great physician. He's the one who makes you better. And as I like to recall one of my favorite quotes, I wish I knew who the originator of it was, God did not come to make bad people good, but He came to make dead people alive. If you're dead, you have no power. A dead man in his casket cannot rise. But if that casket happens to go past where Jesus Christ is, and he walks up to that casket and he touches it and says, Arise! That dead man is no longer dead, but alive. And so the power of God can make the dead alive. And if you are dead today in your trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ can make you alive. Praise be to his holy name. My question is, do you believe God? It's an important question for all of us to ask. Do we believe God? Do we take Him at His word? And do we realize that believing is what is essential for salvation, not work? Think of the man on the cross who who turned to Christ and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't have time to get off the cross and go do a bunch of good works. He couldn't even reach out and touch the Lord. All he could do was look to the Lord and he lived. It kind of reminds me of that story of Moses in the desert when he put the serpent on the pole and and Jesus actually makes the illusion that I am that serpent lifted up. And if you look unto Him, you will be healed. And that happened for that man who was on the cross next to Jesus. And one day I'm going to meet Him. And He's my brother in the Lord. What an amazing thought. And then God goes on and He says, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. God is reminding Abram, hey, I brought you out of your former land. I didn't bring you out here to leave you. And if I brought you this far, I will complete what I have to do in you. And I think that's so important, that if God has you on a path, if He's bringing you through something on a path, you can trust Him to complete the work that He has for you. If someone could um, look at, by way of um, cross-reference, Romans 4.21-25, if someone has that, they can uh, go ahead and read it. That would be very good. I can read that. Romans, right now? Yes, please. Romans 4.21-25. 21-25, yep. And being fully convinced what he had promised, he was also able to, to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us, 
it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Now, I don't know about you, but I as a human sometimes make promises that I don't keep. I try to be a promise keeper because that's what God wants me to be. And the Bible says that we are to keep our word, but I sometimes fail to do so. But God, being perfect, does not fail to keep his promises. And so, not only did Abram hear the promise of God, but he believed that God was able to fulfill that promise. And so he was declared righteous before God, and so may we be. I have this quote um, by L.S. Chafer. I'm not really familiar with him, but I liked this quote as I was preparing for this message. It says, Saving faith may thus be defined as a voluntary turning from all hope and grounds based on self-merit and assuming an attitude of expectancy toward God, trusting Him to do a perfect saving work based only on the merit of Christ. If you're trusting in anything else other than Christ, you're in the wrong place this morning. But if you, like Peter, when you were drowning in the sea of life, looked up and said, Lord, save me, and felt His hand reach out to you and save you, then you are eternally Secure in Him. Okay, the second section here. God makes a covenant with Abraham. Genesis 15, 8 to 12. Genesis 15, 8. And he said, Lord, whereby will I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece against one another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And there's a couple of significant things here. First of all, Abram is asking an honest question. How will I know that the things that you are telling me will come true? Now sometimes we, we see stories of, such as with Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 where a question is asked and then God kind of gives out a punishment for asking the question. And we sometimes puzzle about that because then we see in, in Mary's case a question is asked and she's not punished at all for her question. And the only thing I can think of to separate those things is the fact that God knows the heart. And he knows the why behind the question. And I think he is showing us here that he does not mind sincere questions. Sincere questions are welcomed by God. God wants us to ask questions because that's how we receive answers. 
And I can definitely tell you that in our years of jail ministry, we have seen our share of sincere questions and our share of questions that were asked by scoffers who the devil was trying to use as his tool to interrupt the work of God in that jail. And that's just one example from my own life. But we see that God is preparing to make a covenant with Abram. And he tells Abram to bring all these animals. Pretty, pretty extensive list. And gives him the directions. And just as they are about to go into a place where they will uh, begin this covenant, what happens to Abram? He falls into a deep sleep. Why? Because it was, it was God, only God, who could establish and fulfill this covenant. Why? Because Abram was weak. Abram was simply a man, and if he had been relied upon to keep this covenant, he would not have. Remember, it doesn't say in verse 6, Abram did the work, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It says Abram believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so there's great significance in the fact that God put Abraham to sleep, and not only did he initiate the covenant, but he fulfilled the covenant. God not only says to us, we need to have salvation, we need to seek God, but he seeks us and brings us to God. The Bible says, no one comes to God except the Father draws him. And then, Jesus not only told us how to live, he lived that way, and then he was sacrificed as a perfect sacrifice and a fulfillment of the law because we could not fulfill it. The law was intended as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And uh, as, we, as we think about this idea of uh, good questions to ask God and His willingness to answer them, could we look by way of cross-reference at Judges chapter 6, verses 36 to 40. Judges 6, 36 to 40. This, of course, is, the story, is part of the story of Gideon. And God comes to Gideon and... It's another one of those situations where God is not looking for the most qualified person to do His work. He's looking for a willing person who He then can qualify. Does someone have Judges 6, 36-40? I've got it. And Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone... It is dry on all the ground, and I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with this fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let this be dew. And God did so that that night. It was dry on the fleece only, and all the ground was due. 
Again, we see an honest question, a couple honest questions. And uh, we just see how God is willing to um, see the heart of this man Gideon and encourage his heart as he sends him to do his work. Thinking also of the fact that right before he was to slay the Midianites, he said, if you lack courage, go down to the camp. And I will give you courage. And he hears the Midianites discussing a dream that they had about their utter destruction. And he knew at that moment that they would be delivered into the hand of the Lord. And uh, there's, there, there's at least allusions to us in this covenant. It's not the same covenant, but there are allusions to us. And I like when Jesus says later... Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So even these covenants, like I said, they point to Jesus. And I just wanted to provide this quote once again by way of thinking about the way men promise things. Thomas Fuller said this, he said, A man apt to promise is apt to forget. How precious it is that we serve a God who says this, I am not a man that I would lie or that I would change my mind. That's what he said to the children of Israel. And that's what he says to us. Okay, in the third section of this passage, from 13 to the end, we'll see that God is going to speak a little bit to Abram about the future. And he says this in verse 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed I have given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river Euphrates, the Kenizzites, the Kenites, and the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And so, we kind of see a continuation of, of talking about this covenant, and God says to Abram, your descendants are going to uh, be servants to another land for 400 years. What is, he pro what is God telling Abram about? He's telling him about the children of Israel will go into Egypt and they will become slaves, but then they will be delivered with great substance. And... One thing I wanted to bring out about this is that God doesn't promise us a smooth path. 
I think that's one of the biggest things that I have learned in my years of walking with the Lord. When I graduated from college in 2006, my number one goal for the first year was to find a full-time job so that I could uh, build a house, prepare my life, and then marry and have children. That was my number one goal. And as I went through that year, and as I applied for jobs, and as the doors weren't opening, I grew very frustrated and was very unsure of what God was doing. My father talked to me a lot that year, and he said, you know, he said, I don't know what ultimately God has planned, but I believe that God has plans for you in the way of ministry, and you really need to surrender that to Him and let Him work. And I resisted that for a while, but through the gentle persistence of my father, of another friend that um, I knew well at the time, and some other people in my life, I surrendered to ministry. And I assumed, as most people do, that if I surrendered to ministry, doors would fly open, I'd have more work than I knew what to do with, I'd be so busy and all of my wildest dreams would come true. But I realized that just because you surrender to do what God has for you does not mean that things will be smooth. As a matter of fact, it may be rougher. Think of all that the disciples went through when they surrendered to follow Jesus Christ. First, they leave their livelihoods for his three years of earthly ministry. Then, he leaves them with the Holy Spirit, and they go forth and they minister the gospel to everyone, and they get beaten and sometimes killed for the sake of the gospel. John, as far as we know, died of an old age, but not before he was boiled in oil and lived to tell about it. It's a good possibility by tradition that nine or ten of the disciples plus the Apostle Paul were martyred for the sake of the gospel. They lost their lives because they stood up for what they believed in. And God is kind of painting a similar picture for Abram that, that things are not always going to be smooth. There is going to be rough times for you and your descendants. But I am going to be with you. And I am going to give you this land. And you are going to possess it. Now, of course, Abram died before most of this happened. But his descendants eventually after much trial and much error on their part, took possession of the promised land. God fulfilled His promise. And for a while in our great history, Israel was not a nation, but they were reestablished as a nation in 1948. <clears throat> Paul tells us to pray for the peace of Israel. 
And we need to do that. Again, just emphasizing that God had to do the work here. And he, and he talks about, like I said, he talks about the, the future when they will serve the Egyptians. But then he says, you'll go forth with much possessions. And we read in Exodus that when they went forth, they were given much possessions by the people of Israel. By the people of Egypt, sorry. And so we see once again God's words coming true. And we see all these people groups whose land God is going to give the children of Israel. And we know the first time they went to take the land, they sent 12 men into the land, and 10 of them came back and said, We're so afraid. There are giants in the land. Forgetting that God had delivered them from the Pharaoh. And so they were told that they would wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Their clothes would not wear out, their sandals would not wear out, but they would die in the wilderness and their children would see the land. Save for two people Caleb and Joshua. And I think it's kind of interesting that Caleb, even as an 80, 85-year-old man, was a strong man and he went to war for the land. And he was rewarded for his faithfulness to God. So, my challenge to you today is that if you will trust God, you will be rewarded in the future. Does that mean that you'll, you'll have everything you want here on earth? No, but the Bible says that the earth is not our home. The Bible says that we're to lay up our treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's where our treasure needs to be. And I, I also have found, I'm not a prosperity gospel person, but I will tell you this, that I have found that God often will give us material blessings that we were not expecting if we are serving and honoring Him. The Bible says, The blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. There's a lot of sad rich people in the world today, and it's because they think that money is all there is. But when their money's gone, they have nothing. But when you have Jesus, you have everything, whether you have money or not. Can we look at, by way of cross-reference, thinking further about the future, Psalm 37, 37. Psalm 37, 37. Mark the blameless man and observe 
be upright. For the future of that man is peace. If you are upright, if you are righteous before God, the future of your life is peace. Why? Because the issue of sin has been dealt with. It's significant that the first times that Jesus is seeing His disciples, His followers, after He died and rose again, He says to them, Peace be unto you. Despite the fact that they ran away from him. Despite the fact that Peter denied even knowing him three times and looked him in the eye. He still says, peace be unto you. Why? Because he bought our peace. He purchased our peace. He made away with our sin. And it's no longer affecting our relationship with God. And I am so thankful for that. I just want to share this story with you. It says this, During his 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy often closed his speeches with the story of Colonel Davenport, the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives. One day in 1789, the sky of Hartford darkened ominously, and some of the representatives, glancing out the windows, feared the end was at hand. Calling a clamor for immediate adjournment, Davenport rose and said, The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought. Rather than fearing what is to come, we are to be faithful till Christ returns. Instead of fearing the dark, we are to be light as we watch and wait. I have a great concern that there are many Christian brothers and sisters here in the United States, specifically. Who fear what is to come too much to be alike. They don't want to speak out boldly against sin. They just want people to be allowed to go about their own business, whether it's glorifying to God or whether it's a stench in his nostrils, and not say anything and just let them be. They kind of think that that is love. But that's not love. Proverbs says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Some of our friends, some of the people that we love dearly, they need to be wounded. Not because we want to hurt them, but because we want to save them. Paul said, knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. That's why I preach the gospel, because I know that without it, we're all doomed. And so, if you have not accepted Him, if you've been living under the delusion that you're a good person who occasionally messes up, get to know the truth that your heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But also know the one that can change your heart. The one that can remove your heart of stone and place in its place a heart of flesh. The one that, though your outward man perisheth, 
Your inward man can be renewed day by day. How is that? It's through Jesus Christ. And we who are Gentiles feel this even more because we who are once far off have He brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm a friend of God. Are you? I hope and pray that it's so. And if you are, then we're brothers and sisters. And there's nothing more exciting than that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the story of Abram. We thank you for your patience with him. We thank you for your honesty with him. We thank you that you called him your friend. And we thank you also that you call us friend. Because you've told us what you are doing. You told the disciples at least three times, if not more, that you are going to the cross. And yet, sometimes in our finite minds, we, we fail to see the significance of what you are doing. We ask that you would forgive us for that, and we ask that you would help us to shine brighter as the days grow darker. To not just hang on until you come, but to let other people know where the lifeboats are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.